Our guest for today is the successful owner and chief creative officer of Creative Vision Media, and she's none other than Miss Cherise Chester. She's most recognized for managing Jackson Health Systems' $2 billion pilot healthcare construction mentor protege program. This six-year program partnered the nation's leading healthcare construction companies with minority-owned firms to develop their expertise and skills to compete in a highly regulated healthcare industry. Before entering the worlds of entrepreneurship, Ms. Chester worked eight years as an aide in the Florida legislature, where she honored her skills for research, media relationships, public policy, and consensus building. Without further ado, help me in welcoming Ms. Cherise Chester. Thank you for joining us today in our Thriving in Construction, the podcast. I have a very special guest. I mean, all our guests are special and they all contribute differently to our industry and our community. And Cherie Chester, you're is here to, to share with us how she started in the business, how she impacts our business, how she impacts our community. And I am so grateful that you're here. I know we met you a month ago and I said, will you come join us in our podcast? And I'm very grateful for you to be here and taking time away from your schedule to enlighten our listeners in, in how you impact our, our, our world. So thank you for being here. Would you please tell our listeners more about who you are, how you started your business and what you do? Oh, thank you so much for having me, first of all, Ms. Patricia, because you do an amazing job in this community and it's an honor to be here and be a part of your your, your podcast. So Sharice Chester, I'm the owner of Creative Vision Media and media is for media events, design, intergovernmental affairs, as well as advocacy. And the advocacy is for small businesses, businesses working on construction projects in the public sector and the private sector. So what we do is support them through the process to make sure they're meeting compliance requirements requirements and payroll and living wages, residential requirements, and making sure sometimes small businesses, this is their first time taking on a large contract and they just simply need someone to ask the question. We are always there to answer and pursue the answer for them because the goal for everyone involved is to win and to complete the project on time and on, on budget as we all know. So I started in my business after spending eight years in public policy. So what I bring to every project I like to say is differentiator is that we understand how government works. We understand how processes work. We understand because we've been so engaged in statues and policy and why things um, are done the way that they are on all levels of government. And regardless of the job that you're doing, you must have that intimate knowledge in order to be successful. So I thank you, Miss. Patricia for recognizing that all components of construction are so important in order for the companies to thrive. I, I absolutely agree. And you know, it's not a one and only thing. And I this is one one of the first of the Bible of the Bible that says all the parts of the body are important. So you don't want to look at a business only I'm really good at estimating this is this is it. And I, I said I share that in another po podcast. But even things that people don't even think about, like what you do, it's it's so crucial, right? And so when you look at a 
at a project that you are pursued for your business personally, what do you, what components would that pursuit need to have in order for you to feel that this is a, an effort that you must take and that it will be successful, but you have to do it. There's no way you won't do it. I thank you for that question. And that's something that I've learned over the 20 years in business. What is the reputation of the client in the industry or from a previous uh, relationship? That is key in terms of determining whether or not I would pursue a project or team with a company. Do they allow, you know, Creative Vision Media to be creative, right? Are they restricting us in what we are suggesting the approach should be based on the project? Are there compliance and requirements something that are harmful to small businesses, but they are open to strategies that will make the small business successful? So certainly do your homework, I would say, and understand the reputation of the agency or the client. Regardless of how big it is, what is the reputation? What is the mission of the organization? And of course, I always tell um, businesses, what is the reputation of the people that you will be working with directly? Do the research. And hopefully you already have a relationship with the people that you'll be working with directly, right? Because you've been out um, building relationships, going to their events, going to their meetings, meeting them one-on-one long before you pursue any work um, with that. Yeah, that's that's very crucial. And you touched on relations. I believe, I mean, some people say if you don't have relationships, relationship is an asset. We cannot put it in the balance sheet, but it's an asset. So give us your take about relationships. One, how do you build them when you don't have? And two, why they are important in your the success of your business? And number three, how can you help businesses build relationships if this is something that you do? So you first must identify what is my target. So What is a jack of all trades, master of none? You must determine, do I want to do transportation? Do I want to do healthcare? Do I want to do education? Whatever the industry you want to target, then you say, which region? Am I going to focus on South Florida? Will I focus on North Georgia? Once you identify that, then you drill down a little more and say, who are the players in those markets and in that industry? And that's, you know, some people say, I don't have the staffing. I'm a small business. If you make the time available upfront, or if you invest the time upfront, it's going to be easier in the long run, right? Because the last thing you want to do is pursue a project and you have not made a contact with the procurement person. You have not made contact with the proposed project manager prior to, or you haven't reached out to determine, was this project out to bid before? Is this a new component? Let me research or pull the bids in this area prior to this new bid coming out so I can see what the committee prefers, so I can read the comments because all of that is building the relationships. Why? Because you understand the way they think, you understand their priorities, you understand the pitfalls because you see it in writing. So you have to do the research first. What's my market? Where's my region? Who are the players. Once you've done that, and remember now, this doesn't happen in a week. This may take six months. So be committed to developing that process. And what do we do in that regard as a small as small business consultants? We help you in terms of identifying this is your strategy for this market or this industry or this entity. These are the people you need to target. Now, do we pick up the phone and call them for you? Of course not, right? Because you as the firm owner has to build the relation. You have to understand their their speak on a one-on-one. So when you walk into a room, let me tell you, as a small business, any business, when you walk into a room of a selection committee and you know at least one person, everything seems to fall in line because you know what they're looking for in your answers, in your bid, in your numbers, whatever it is, because you've done your homework. 
homework. You never want to be caught off guard not doing your homework. And also think about this. What are the competitors doing? They're doing their homework and they're building their relationships. I've even been on projects where we requested the recording of bids of whatever, right? Because it was a public project and we listened to them. Why? And we wrote them down. Why? Because we wanted to know the language of the selection community. We wanted to be so, so, so knowledgeable of their priorities, of their objectives before we walked into that room. And that was the best way to get it done. Absolutely. And how do you sustain these relationships over time? Great question. Sometimes that means just going to a public meeting they're having. You see an item on the agenda and you want to get up and speak. It's called building your brand as an individual. The goal is, they, they always say, um, be present. So when you show up, people know who you are when you walk into the room. And that takes a lot of work. People call it networking. And that's the real thing. Building the brand, your identity. So when people, have you heard of so-and-so? They say, yeah, I've heard of so-and-so. If you've been in business, you have to make that time. A lot of businesses, what is the first budget cut? Public relations and marketing. I don't need it. Well, with social media, you need it even more. Because you're competing with all of the distractions of social media. So you need it even more. You have to tell the story even more. I want to give you an example. I had a uh, photographer. No, it was a delivery company. And she was saying, I can't get any business. And I said, because you're not telling the story. It's not enough to put a picture and say, this is what we do. No, people want to see you in the office. They want to see you meeting with your staff. They want to see you at the community meeting. Share your whole story because it helps to build who you are as a brand. Uh, absolutely. I, I think it's a brand where we need to focus. Yes. And many times we just start a business, but we don't really see about the impact of a brand. And I, everything is marketing. Everything. And a lot of people say, I like to do the work. I am a construction manager or I am an estimator. That's not in my field. Everybody on your team matters. Everyone should be involved in some sort of way in terms of building the brand. Send the estimator to the public meeting. Let them engage. Tell me about the public meeting because you've mentioned that, that twice. And I don't think many of us, you know, a lot of times we start companies and, you know, we don't have a ton of people. So we we focus on one, sometimes what we like, what we're comfortable with, and it's not necessarily going to public meeting. And sometimes the business has certain present needs and you don't find a way, you become a operator of your business you know when you start a business you 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 know people think oh i've been doing this for a long time for a large company and i've made them a lot of money that's that's thought process i'm gonna do it for myself and you drop everything that you have you start your business very nice congratulations a lot of courage and i encourage people to do that but it's important to understand that it it takes a lot of moving parts it takes a lot of moving parts and then people don't plan how to really not be the operator of your business and before you know it you've grown and you've gotten a lot of work you don't have the right people and stuff happens and you become like ingrained so much in the business that you can don't have the time to build this relationship or you don't have the time to even think about this can your business run without you for a week so i mean to do this right it, it almost seems like you, you just said it people don't think marketing is important it just doesn't seem like it's, it's an effort that is going to build the bottom line where i i don't agree with that but the mentality doesn't justify the time spent because it doesn't feel like it's you're working why it just doesn't give you the retribution right away right it just takes time right especially when you're talking about focusing on building a brand so what's your perspective 
So I have two points. So first, I want to go to what you were mentioning, people working in the business rather than on the business. But remember, every engagement with your existing clients really is marketing. How quickly do you respond to an email? How quickly do you respond to a call? How quickly do you fix that problem on the on the job? Someone didn't show up to finish or a, a trade partner didn't show up to finish the job. How quickly do you respond? That is marketing. Why is that? That's your reputation management marketing. What will the client say about you when this job is done? Can you get that client to write you a letter that translates into what? A testimonial that translates to what? Your message on social media, right? So every engagement with an existing client really is marketing. It really is branding. It's whether or not you capitalize on it during the project and after the project. But you're also right. How do you make yourself more in the know? A lot of times about going to meetings and events, that stuff is planned out far in advance where you can say, I have to go. If you do one a week, for example, we're in South Florida. One of the local mayors had a big unveiling of her platform for small businesses. That's a low-hanging fruit. Why? Everyone in business leadership was there, right? Everyone in charge of county compliance, county contracting from every department was there. It costs you nothing but a parking ticket and maybe two hours of your day. So the first step to do, if you're a small business, I would say is get online, find out your industry, find out your region and just sign up for the newsletter. Mm. Let them send you the information and you go through it and you say, I'm going to commit once a week to do something in this area so I can build my identity and get in the know. Because we all know this, all of the connections and job opportunities and up I mean, contracting opportunities happens at those meetings, right? When you're talking to the director of aviation or whatever, oh, did you know so-and-so is coming up? Oh, okay. It happens there, but you're missing that opportunity. That is a great way of building your business by making yourself available in those, I call them low-hanging fruits because it doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to dress up. You come as you are, but everyone's there. All the place was packed. Filled with businesses. Which are these meetings again? This was the mayor. The mayor unveiled her recently value-driven small business program, and it was standing room owning only of small business owners. So figure out what your market is. If it's transportation, go to Department of Transportation. If it's healthcare, go to all the hospitals in the region you're talking and just sign up for their newsletter. And in there, you will find nuggets or reasons to call that procurement person. And that's how you break the ice because it can be very intimidating to break the ice. And remember now, in all of these industries, private or or public, they work. They're interested. They want to hear from you. They want to meet you. The big construction companies, they want to meet you. They want to hear from you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Sharice, I want to pivot a little bit. We we met when Jackson Hospital was doing a Jackson Health, they changed the, the name. They had a mentor protege program, which I thought it was an effort that very brilliant effort from Jack, on Jackson's behalf. It was the first time that I saw something that could actually work as a mentor protege program to a degree that it, it, it mimics what the federal government does. But what was very interesting is that what you just said, the people in it were really passionate about bringing in small businesses and using that volume of work to make that happen. I, I remember the intention was, well, we don't have a lot of companies that can do healthcare. And how do we bring in new companies into the system? Because the entry point is very difficult. There's a lot of steps that you have to overcome in order to become a, a contractor that you can do healthcare work. So that was the intent, but they also had you there. They also had people in the system that were very passionate and they were actually making it, making it happen. I don't think I've ever seen that here in South Florida. The way I saw it there, maybe you have, but still very grateful. I was part of that process. And, you know, you tend to think this is not true. This is not going to happen. But we saw it all the way through the end.
You have been listening to Thriving in Construction, the podcast. To get our latest update and avoid missing an episode in the future, head over to our website, patriciabonilla.com, and click the podcast. And then please subscribe. We want to hear more about you. This is Patricia Bonilla. And once again, thank you. Thank you so much for being a part of Thriving in Construction, the podcast. So tell me more about how do you get there and what was your impression about what, what was accomplished and how can we do more of that in mm -hmm. order to get small businesses in a process where they can be learn, be more successful and not allow the system to crash you early. So it goes back to one of my other comments. What is the will of the entity? What is their objective and their mission? So they put into place before I even was um, brought on board as a consultant, like you mentioned, the mentor protege program, which required large healthcare construction firms to partner with minority owned firms in order to ensure that they get healthcare experience, which was very successful because it was required. A lot of times it is aspirational or encouraged, but this was a requirement where they could not not bid unless they had identified a small business certified partner, which is very effective. So once they put that into practice and they, they teamed the groups up, it really was ensuring that they were extension of staff, meaning they were integrated into the large construction firm's team. They were not put off to the side, but they were actually leading, helping to lead the charge to build a large project. Some projects were 300 million, others were 100 million. And for many of these firms, they had never worked on a project at that scale. And the beauty, beautiful part of it is they offered the support meaning they put my company in place to kind of support them. The internal diversity director was very motivated and encouraged Amber Lawhorn to make sure that these businesses succeeded. Sure, there were challenges of the seven that started, six graduated, which is still miraculous. And the project uh, was so successful, they're looking to, as you have just suggested, to model it across Miami-Dade County because it was so successful. But it goes back to there are other agencies that have mentor-protege programs, but they are encouraged or Tying it to a construction project requiring a certain percentage in terms of the small business goal and then offering the daily support, not monthly, not weekly support, which included, as you know, the reporting of your work, the check-ins in terms of site visits at your business. I think those steps really demonstrated that the client, the agency, the firm was serious about the success of small business. A lot of times they put these in place because I know that other entities have these programs, but there's no one doing the daily monitor. And I think that is the difference. I know you said on the federal level, I'm not as familiar. But the small businesses appreciated it when they could call someone and say, hey, we're having a challenge with staffing. We're having a challenge because we've never done this before. Oh, we just learned about lean construction. Um, we've updated our software because the prime is using this. We were never aware. We even had some protégés travel with mentors to conferences for training. Never happened before. Never would have had that exposure. And to hear now, that was a seven-year program that many of those firms are now performing as primes on healthcare projects is a success. But I also must say the firms that were identified were all had a solid reputation. Your company, Lunacon, and so many others. Some of them are like, oh yeah, I've heard of them, right? So you've already built your brand in the market. You were already a respected entity. So you were a great fit for the program because it brought, I have to say this, value to the program. Because people are like, why would you do a mentor protege program? But you guys, and I always used to say, wow, these are this is a great group firms because they're already respected in the construction industry. So we win by bringing them in. So the goal is to 
of course, um, duplicate it. And a part of that mayor's forum that we talked about, they're looking to mimic this program across. But it has to be required. That's the difference. Yeah, that's the But you know, I, I think you touched on something very important. You, as the protege, you have to be coachable. Right. You know, there's nothing worse than having an amazing person that has done it and proved, proven it to be your your mentor when you think you know it all. When you, when you have the attitude, I know this, I know it all, you're not coachable. You you don't have the, the spirit or the willingness to have someone else teach you. There's some level of humbleness that needs to be part of the process and you got to do your part. And I tell you, a lot of times we think people, I, I've come across two people where I become the, the mentor because I'm maybe I have, I'm in a different level and they have, they're starting, but they think you're entitled. And a lot of, there's nothing worse than feeling entitled that you deserve it, disturbing. And yes, we all deserve everything. But do we want to be in a, do we, can we be more humble to be able to accept someone else giving the, their time and their knowledge in order for us to grow? I mean, you got to have that growing, the desire to grow and the desire to question even what you have done. Because the thing is, if I'm being mentored, who's my mentor? Have they achieved the results that I want? And if I don't have them, that means there's something I have to learn. But a part of the program was early on when William C., Bill C. came in, he says the prote it's the protege's responsibility to pursue whatever learning that they wanted to learn. Because the mentor doesn't really know. They know that you're doing the day-to-day -day work, but is there something outside of that? And I know a lot of firms went into um, GMP training, marketing training, identifying talent. So there were other components that were not necessarily a part of the curriculum, the pre-construction and construction curriculum that protégés also pursue. So you're absolutely right. And then the other part we learned is, to your point, the mentor. Is the mentor a teacher? Does the mentor have the experience or the willingness to say, okay, let me let me show them this. This is what they need to learn because if you don't have the right fit, then it won't be successful. But absolutely. Certainly. And then the protégé in this system had to be very flexible because sometimes the staffing of the mentor changed, but the protégé had to be consistent and be willing and open to this new person's way of doing things. Absolutely. absolutely. So we saw all of that and, and it worked in, in so many ways. I want to change it a little bit and I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk to you about your thoughts on diversity and inclusion and workforce development, especially in the times that we're living now where there's so much work out there, yet it's a challenge and it's a very big challenge, not only for small businesses, but for large companies with with incredible amount of work on their backlogs, not work that they're pursuing, but work they have to find talent and issues with, you know, resources. But in the in the subject of diversity and inclusion and in the subject of workforce development, what are your thoughts? What is the reputation of the organization? What have people said who've worked there? And has it been positive? Because even when we started the Mentor Protégé or even the Jackson Project, people were already giving us feedback on company. And if this person gets the job, we don't want to bid them. So what is the reputation? Is your does your company have a reputation where people want to come and work and stay and grow? Do they feel it is a place to grow? Is do they feel it's a safe place to offer comments, feedbacks, or input? Or to I remember one protege said when he was working with a large construction firm, the guy told me early on there is no such thing as a dumb question. Do they have that level of comfort when they're working or consulting with you? That is the key. Remember, what is the culture? So people talk about diversity and inclusion, and it goes back to what is the reputation of the organization? Is it encouraged or required? And if it's encouraged and required, if it's 
is encouraged and who's in place what's, and are they motivated? So what is it for you? What, where do we need to go with diversity and inclusion? Why is it important in, in terms of not only for their organization, but also for our community? What, how do you see, what's your position? It has on to diversity? be in policy, but we know for South Florida, that is not a pop, that's not an option. That's why they're doing a diversity study because Miami-Dade County was involved in a lawsuit many years ago where you can't say hire person based on race or gender. It has to be based on the size of the firm. But for me, from all of my experience, people are willing, but it has to be in policy. If it's not in policy, I, I hate to say it, the level, the playing field is not level. It is not because everyone will bid and people are human. So they're looking at every bid and every opportunity from their perspective, regardless of the objectives of the organization. Let's just be realistic. So for me, I would say it'd have to be in policy. As a matter of fact, I was a member of a chamber. I'm a member of a chamber. We went to Tallahassee to say, how do we stop this? Because not only is it on the local level, but it's statewide. So where do you get work if the level field, if the playing field is not level? And how do you say you want small businesses to grow? Because when small businesses grow, what happens? The local economy grows, right? Our children do better, right? And and then we have a stronger next generation. So there are a lot of factors that people never calculate based on the fact that all businesses have to have an opportunity to grow. And I think on the statewide level, they said, what, 2% of the businesses doing work on the state level that are owned by Blacks? It's like 2%. 2% of what? Billions? And even the report for Miami-Dade, I saw in the, in the newspaper article, 300 million of the $3 billion county budget goes to Black-owned firms. I don't want to say the entity because I'm not sure. 300 million, that's a drop in the bucket. And then 40 million of the 300 million went to one firm. There's a problem. So that means there's not a big enough pool of businesses that can perform the work. And why is that? I've been in business 20 years and it's the same conversation. It's same, the same conversation. Same conversation also on workforce development, even yeah. though we are where we are today. Same conversation. What? the obstacle? The obstacle is unless the firms are diverse, then the workforce is not going to be diverse. Well, in construction, that's uh, we have a way to go. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, it, we do. It, we have a way to go. And are they growing? Right. Because if they're getting work and they're still here, then we still have a way to go. Yeah, absolutely. We have a way to go. So it's a, yeah, it, it, everyone. What they say? Where there's a will, there's a way. Well, maybe maybe all these challenges that we have now where there is the work and everyone. I think people are looking at it differently now because it's affecting their their bottom line. Even large companies are saying there's nobody to work. Right. But also you have, I'm sorry, but you have to make construction more attractive. Because I remember when I was growing up, I could, I could touch people that I remember who were working in construction. Today, I don't know anyone, not even in my family, in construction. So how do you make it more attractive to the younger generation? Well, I think it's, it's also marketing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and I also believe exactly. nobody really, uh, as parents, we didn't tell our kids be a plumber or an electrician. But in an era where I hear, I read in eight, about eight years, a lot of the formal pro um, professions that we know today are going to be eliminated right. by AI machine learning. Right. So it's going to be very hard for a robot to do right. plumbing. Right. 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 So it, it, it is it is a change in, in perspective that we, we need to we need to kind of tackle. And I think it's a role of the, the universities. It's a, the, the politicians. Right. The companies. We have to start innovating. And I believe diversity and inclusion involves that precisely. If you have a diverse company, meaning that you have all sectors of the population represented in your business, all ages, all types, you will be more innovative. You will bring 
more to the table, right? More opportunities of discussion. And I, and I think that's probably one of the way, one of the things that can help us overcome what we're living now. Yeah. And the thing, and we all know this, if a company has a solid reputation, the word gets around and their diversity and inclusive employment base will be reflected. The word gets around. But if a company doesn't have a solid reputation as being fair across the board, growth for all parties, then that gets around as well. And people shy away from the company. So it is all about what is the culture of the company? What is their reputation? What is their reputation? And I think the part of the learning should start in high school because by college, they kind of know what they want to do, but kind of introduce it earlier as something. Because my, my grandfather was an electrician. I remember that, but I don't know anyone in anyone right now. And those are very successful careers. Absolutely. If they pay sometimes $60, $70 mm-hmm. an hour. Mm-hmm. And so we're coming to the end. Is there something that I haven't asked you that you would like to share with our listeners? I just want to thank you for having the vision and insight because a lot of times companies see the challenges in their day-to-day operations and don't create an avenue or a vehicle to share learnings and best practices with others. So I commend you for doing that because one thing I've learned on the Jackson Project and I'm learning every day. I told, as a matter of fact, I told Ms. Amber the other day, I'm going to be so smart when I'm done because every day is something new and just getting the word out about how to operate in the best for the end. I, I think I really believe in, in co-elevating each other. How do we, in our own organizations, within within our own companies, are we creating a, a culture that we all grow together? Because like I said, from the premises that all parts of the body are important, there's not one single position in a, in a company or in a, even in a project. They're all important. You know, you need everyone. And so how do we collaborate? How do we are being more inclusive? That's my effort here with this podcast. I just want to be able to share information from and lessons learned for people not to prevent them from failing in their in their effort to be more more than prevent them, but allow them to thrive and, and be more successful. So So to your point, if I can say this, you said what would I say was my closing remark. As soon as you anticipate a problem, get on the phone and call someone. Because I find that a lot of small businesses wait a little longer than they should to alert that they need to or troubleshoot they need help they need help yeah that's, that's the biggest factor and, and i agree with you and I, I would have to ask you the question who do i call because a lot of times you're measured we all want to be successful and you know i've never heard someone in the construction industry in any networking event that when you ask them how are you doing they say that they're not doing good i, I i've never heard unless it's, it was in the 20, 2008 when everybody was doing bad but people don't tend to share that People are afraid to share failures when failures are opportunities, actually, to be even better and learn. Right. And do it, do it better. And find a mentor and find someone that can help you through a, through a situation. So I, I guess, you know, I don't know. Who do you call? So that's a part of building the relationship. Early on, chat it up enough to figure out who can you confide in. You have to. Sometimes if you have to be there at 6, get there at 545 and see who's there and just kind of talk. Because you never know who you're going to build a relationship with. But you've got to build a relationship on the job site. So you'll know who can you confide in for some direction. That's the reality. Because we, I can tell you, through this process, we've reached out. We, we have people on the list. Let's just call them and check in. Call them and check in. And we'll talk to them every day, every month. And they'll never reveal, like you said, the problem. And then we'll get the problem from another person. But we're like, wait, we're on a call with them every week, checking in. Find someone. You've got to build that relationship on the job. And it doesn't have to be everybody. Pick one person on your team 
thing, that's the person who's going to identify, I like to call it the advocate that can help you. And it may not be on the site. It may be the person who, who you meet, who's doing the contract or whatever it is. But your responsibility is to figure out who that is before you have a problem. Very well said. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And I'm sorry. I no, you're an amazing communicator. I've always admired that in you. And <laughs> I, maybe it's your background in communication. Mm -hmm. It definitely serves you. Mm -hmm. And your passion for politics, too. We never we, don't, we didn't even talk about that. <laughs> but but we will Thank in a future episode. Thank, Thank you, you for so being much. here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Thriving in Construction, the podcast with Patricia Bonilla. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you have any suggestions or any related topics you would like us to tackle in our future episodes, feel free to reach Patricia by sending her a message through the website, anchor.fm slash thrivinginconstruction or find her on LinkedIn. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week here in Thriving in Construction, the podcast.